Blog Talk Radio. Prevention and healing from 
child sexual abuse, particularly abuse by religious authorities or in the context of religious settings. A workbook he wrote, wrote <clears throat> Healing the Sexually Abused Heart, a workbook for survivors, thrivers, and supporters, is an integration of various disciplines that led Jaime to become a certified traumatic in sorry, traumatic incident reduction facilitator. And that is abbreviated PIR facilitator. Jaime explains, quote, while it is no secret that I am a survivor of clergy abuse, it is the journey of in integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate. Visit his website at jaimeromo.org. <clears throat> and with that, I will open the mic up to uh, Dr. Jaime Romo. Hi, thanks He's very opening. much. There you go. Hi, welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank and you. I... you had mm -hmm. told oh, me you yeah, had a good topic going for tonight, right? Well, yeah, and it's, you know, it's not a new topic, but it's the idea of thriving, you know, and I think that is so important for us to imagine, if not, you know, take steps, actual steps, um, to go beyond, you know, surviving um, and go beyond even, and I don't mean just in a linear way, but, you know, beyond the um, just kind of living for ourselves, but, but realizing that we're, you know, so much more. Um, and so one, one thing is there's, there's a, an interesting poem um, that I'd like to share by Gareth Higgins, who's the author of a book called How Not to Be Afraid. Um, and then uh, just want to think about thriving and what that means to, to all of us. Um, and there are different ways the conversation could go. I've got, you know, the four agreements are an interesting way to think about that. Um, and I also have some, some specific questions that, you know, if you're all interested, we could take up um, about thriving. So may I start with a poem? Yes, please. Okay. Um, all right. Well, there's one uh, strange word in it. He's Irish, and um, he uses Latin in this one. He says, may you find the anamkara, meaning the soul friendship. Um, but other than that, it's called the blessing for friendship, your own soul. You deserve to be known by the miracle of a day. You are cradled through the night, the dusk affirming yesterday's work. You don't just awake, you awaken unto something. So stand in front of the mirror and repeat 20 times, I am super cool and beautiful and thrillingly alive. In the shower, be gentle with your skin as if you're caressing a Rodin sculpture. Pick up the first piece of trash you see and turn it into an origami Yoda. Make breakfast as if you were making love and eat it that way too. Make sure no one's looking. This time is for you to ready yourself for the miracle of the day, your day. Go out into the world of wonder. Trees and cars and roads and buildings and books and restaurants and computers and desks 
and the greatest wonder, people. Oh, people, messed up and gorgeous, alive and dying, deceitful and trying, and trying hard to be good. They need you. We need you. Hold yourself like you believe in your own glory, not more or less than others, but inviting them into the same. Stretch your arms and legs and neck and let your voice transcend Whitman. For goodness sake, make it a beatific yell. Take yourself out to lunch and enjoy the sacrament of interruption that is queuing and choosing and eating. Look up at the sky. This is your roof. Know that you're not the only one thinking this and that both of you are right. Then when the working day is winding down, readying itself to give way to rest and play, find someone who needs your smile. Give it to them and you'll never lose. May you find the anamkara within, sold friendship with yourself that opens unto others, makes a home for them and transfigures your inner life. May you be the friend to yourself that we are all waiting for. And that is it. And That's I, I wonderful. Think about, could, you mention, I think, could you mention the author again? Yeah, it's Gareth Higgins, G-A-R-E-T-H Higgins. And the book is called How Not to Be Afraid. And it's a guy who grew up in Northern Ireland, Ireland in the middle of, you know, the uh, violence and, you know, terrorism between religious groups. Right? And, um, and so he was sorting out, you know, how to, how to one, it, you know, find some peace in that as well as in himself. Um, and so it's, a, it's an interesting book. And at the end, he's got all these really thoughtful poems. But I, I like this one because it's just really, you know, when I think of thriving, I think it, it comes from this place of connection to our goodness. And and I know, you know, for people who have experienced um, all kinds of childhood abuse, whether it's, you know, parents or, you know, trusted authorities or just society and growing up, that we can internalize um, maybe a, a sense of being broken or less than. Um, and, and we forget. I and mean, we may have... A, a sense of disconnection from our goodness, from this amazing, you know, self that we are. And so it's a really, it's a, quite a journey from that place to a place to, to recognize, you know, the sacredness in us and, and to be in touch with that creativity. So that's a, a starting point for tonight. Um, and I welcome any thoughts you have about that. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, honey, we have a couple people on the phone. Victoria, our co-host, is here, and Philip is here as well. Let's begin with you, Victoria. Would you like to comment, ask questions? Yeah, um, I love the word thriving. I actually went to the support group when uh, they found out I had MPD, and it was called Thrive. It's all capital letters. <laughs> that that was really cool. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it was really interesting to have a um, concept of thriving, you know, um, because they kept thinking survival is not enough, you know, it's not enough. And uh, the thought of, you know, the goodness, of, um, I don't know, I was told I was bad enough so much that I really didn't even believe I had any goodness in me. And, and you know, people were pointing it out in this group, and at the end of the group, 
because it was so many um, months, I think it was. And at the end of the group, um, all the group members passed around, put their names on an envelope and passed them around to different people all the way around the group. And everybody wrote down a kind thing about that person that they thought was a good quality from him. And we had been together so long that, you know, we got these envelopes back and we really did believe things that were written down. We didn't know who wrote them, but it was like from the group. And I can't tell you how many times when I'd be really down and depressed, I'd pull that envelope out. And it's like, you know, there are good things about me. I believe these things, you know, which I never did before that. Because sometimes I think when people give you compliments, at least for me, people would give me a compliment and I would just go, oh, yeah, well, they don't really know me, you know, or they wouldn't be saying that about me. You know, I would just kind of throw it away, you know. I am a worthwhile person and I'm a kind person, loving, helpful, you know, just all these wonderful words that I would have never attributed to myself, even though mm-hmm. I did those things. I just didn't, I don't know, same to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just you. I mean, all I of us, we topic. need others to, to point mm-hmm. out things we can't see in ourselves. I mean, there's Mark Twain says, you know, there's mm-hmm. no way for a man to know for a man to hear himself snore, something like that. Um, or there's no way to, a, a Buddhist koan is, a uh, person can no more um, see themselves as they can, you know, look backwards without turning their head. You know, the idea of like, you know, we have a, a limited perspective and others can point things out that we don't see. And that's, you know, that's how mm-hmm. we can discover more about ourselves that, um, it's good, of course. So what a, what a great yeah. activity. Yeah, and then in AA, having a sponsor, you know, and I'd be like, oh, my God, I haven't really done anything, you know. And, and she could point out from the way I was when I first started, you know, because she knew me back then. And, you know, there was stuff, yeah, you're getting a, you're getting a funk, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, start saying one negative thing, and I kind of go down a rabbit hole with a whole bunch more. And it, it helps get somebody that knows, you know, some things about you and can pull it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so others can, can expand the self-image that we have. I mean, that last line in that poem, may you be the friend to yourself that we're all waiting for, you know, because other people can help us by seeing that, becoming that friend. Thank you. Wow. Well, and sometimes reading a poem or reading a book or whatever um, can bring you out of it too because it's like um, for somebody that's saying to everybody that's reading it, you're worthwhile, you know, and I hope you can pull yourself out, you know. You might not even need to know these people um, at all. And it's like they believe me. They don't even believe in me. They don't even know me. <laughs> but I can feel it personally, you know, like when you read the poem. Awesome. I'm, yeah, I agree. Oh no, Philip! Oh, thank but, you. I, mean, I have some ideas. Yeah. Yeah, Philip. Yeah, I was going to call on Philip. Let me push his button here. There we go. Hello, hello, Annie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Welcome. Do you have any comments or questions? Um, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer or anything, but I'm kind of curious what makes 
what makes you think that people are so special and great? It's a great question. Um, I mean, that's a, that's at the heart. You know, are, are people good or or not? Um, or you know, in this mixed bag, um, where where do we land? You know. So, I mean, my own experience is, you know, at the most simple level, um, is that even in the midst of um, growing up in chaos and growing up in um, lacking in a lot of ways, you know, um, alcoholic father, um, hungry, you know, violent neighborhood, um, abused by clergy, you know, a lot of those things kind of fragmented the sense of self, the sense of uh, meaning, you know. And so my, how I know that, that uh, you said that we're special or, or good is, um, comes down to this experience of love, not the idea. Um, and, you know, even in the midst of the, things that weren't great about parenting. I also knew that I was loved. And and then throughout, you know, life, I mean, just what uh, Victoria gave that example of people just using kind words that that then can sometimes resonate with us. There's something in us that does respond. Um, those kind words wouldn't land if we didn't have it in us. You know? um, so I don't know if it's helpful as an answer, but to me, it's it's this uh, experience on the on the most simple level. Because um, I mean, I have experienced extraordinary things as well, but but uh, you know, I think everybody has some experiences of that we're not alone, that others have reached out, others have given, um, and then it's up to us, right? to build on that and to expand that. You know, and I think that's that what's what goes into the thriving piece. And in in the workbook I kind of talk about these stages of seeing ourselves and when we are victimized, you know, that's a real experience and that, that shapes our thinking about ourselves, about the world. And then when we get into that <clears throat> kind of okay, I'm out of that immediate crisis, but I'm still living in the here and then, that survivor place. You know, that still is a particular way of thinking about ourselves. Maybe, you know, I can I can get along or get through things, but I can't necessarily be happy, you know. Or I've got this imposter syndrome because I've internalized, you know, that I'm really not as good as other people think I am. And, and, um, and then there's more, you know. People, my experience was um, then there was being you know, it's time for me to want something different and, and taking responsibility for that and kind of needing to rethink a lot of stuff that I had thought and, you know, um, about myself, about the world and, you know, who's going to take care of me in the way that is healthiest for me. And um, and so I, I just think there's a progression, you know. I, I, uh, I think my experience and, and plenty of others, oh, my gosh, who have been through incredibly painful lives who have had a 
kind of an awakening, have, have grown beyond that. Um, so that's, those are some of my first thoughts. Um, what's the imposter syndrome? Um, the imposter syndrome is really, really common. And, um, it's like when, when uh, someone, for whatever reason, is internalized, you know, that maybe they're not as smart as other people think they are or are not as capable you know, and like when we often when we get into an, a, a new situation, maybe of in a career or you know, in a relationship where um, you know people have certain expectations, and, and they may be you know that we're competent, but there's that doubt inside of us, um, and it's so common. I mean, it happens and it, it carries on for people across the continuum of professionalism, you know, um, and so just that that part of us that kind of this annoying question or self-doubt or self um, kind of um, kind of uh, we've internalized being a judge for ourselves the way maybe others have it sometimes. And, um, and so we don't ever quite celebrate or like live into, you know, yeah, um, I am pretty amazing. You know, the, the poem kind of said in the, in the very beginning, you know, how can we really, really uh, embrace that uh, sense of? I'm trying to find the actual, actual words of it, but but that, um, yeah, that I'm super cool and beautiful and thrillingly alive. I mean, Marianne Williamson, her in her poem, you know, said, um, you know, who are you to be brilliant and beautiful and others? And she says, actually, who are you not to be? But the imposter system is all that questioning. Who am I to be, you know, brilliant? Who am I to be in this? job or to be even liked, you know. Kind of a difficult thing to do if you have the beliefs of an abusive person. Like, you know, like if if your if somebody else's beliefs were like pounded into your head and if that person was abusive and like negative and stuff, it's kinda of difficult, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially in those formative years, um, when, you know, we're just kind of absorbing and getting a sense of who we are based on how we're treated, right? And so little kids can, I mean, the, the real common thing, and I know, you know, alcoholic families, but in other families, I mean, it's just the parent, you know, the idea is like, okay, if I'm being given something treated nice, that must mean I'm okay. And if I'm being treated badly, it means I'm not okay. I mean, little kids can't really step back and process. And, um, and so that can go on throughout life. I mean, that others can treat us a certain way and, and, and then we believe it, you know, and there's that saying about lies, you know, you say something enough times and people believe it. And I think that's true. We can be treated with a lie that we are not worth something, you know, that we are not uh, able or powerful or brilliant. And so it's just a natural thing that we can absorb when it's, you know, it takes some work to, uh, to clear that and, and reconnect, you know, with something that is actually more true. Did you say informative years? What are those? Are those the childhood years? Yeah. Yeah. Not just, you know, um, yeah. And and so the, and trauma, you know, in, impacts, you know, babies in the womb and in the earliest, you know, days of, of childhood. And so there's all kinds of things that can impact us, but certainly uh, growing up and, 
as an adolescent. I mean, there's a lot of research that focuses on the first 18 years uh, of life because the brain is in so much more development. Um, I'm curious what you do for work. Are you a doctor or something? Um, I am. I'm an education doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, okay. And then I've. Um, and then I've you know, gotten pretty involved in, in the world of uh, trauma-informed care, and and so I've uh, got some some background in that. Thank you for answering my questions. Yeah, thank you. And, and just, thank you, you know, Philip. Yeah. yeah, I also wanted to add uh, Philip's question. Um, for me, it was uh, learning how to reparent myself, which is it, it kind of started happening when I had kids myself, and I was doing parenting classes and just learning the different developmental stages of children. You know, at this age, they need you know guidance. At this age, you know. Um, they need to know that they're loved and cared for. And, you know, I didn't remember ever feeling those feelings. So it's almost like I had to repair my inner child. And this inner child that was just literally screaming out for help. <laughs> you know, I could tell that my needs are not met as a child. So, you know, I thought, well, how can I fulfill them? How can I make my environment safe? You know, how can I um, uh, do things to make myself happy? You know, and I love to swing on the swings. You know, I used to do that when I was a kid, and I always felt free just swinging. And uh, I'll go to the park, and I don't care what anybody says. I'll just go on the swings and swing, you know. Or, you know, just find out new things. Boy, I wish I could have done that, you know. Or I love flying kites. And I can remember when my kids were little, like, go fly kites or dig in the sand, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But, um, you know, we can still do those types of things as adults. So like for ourselves, I got a teddy bear, you know. And, uh, yeah, I'd come home and I'd hug the teddy bear and I'd wrap myself up with a blanket and, and just do comforting things, you know, that were so simple. But meant a lot to me and, you know, continue to tell myself I deserved it and I deserved to be happy and uh, that I have always been loved and wanted and needed by my higher power, and that I have a purpose for life, which I really never figured I did. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you. That's great, Victoria. I think, did you want to respond to that, honey? I just wanted to tell her that's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up play. Um, So there, I I can't remember the, the name of, the person who's a he's a neuropsychoanalyst, so they go into the brain, right, and activate different parts and see where emotions are and see if, you know, one part of the brain is, has some injury, you know, what happens, you know, to emotionally or, you know, not just cognitively. But, um, there are these seven drives, right, and three of them, in my mind, four of them seem to be about survival, and three of them seem to be about growth. And one of them is play. So the three that are about that are in us, who are wired, um, is um, seeking, you know, and so learning and trying to figure things out and just having curiosity. That's like in our brain. It's a, it's wired. There's there's a part of that in us that um, 
is very, very active. And then play is another part of the brain that is activated in play. And then caring is another part of the brain that's activated. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's wired in us. And, and so what, a, what an important thing, you know, besides kind of being reparative, like going back and maybe having a chance to have a childhood and play and be comforted in a way that I didn't get years ago, I mean, that's, that's in us now. We, we need to play, you know, and, and we're curious, and we need to keep learning and figuring stuff out um, and then caring, you know, that those are so not just ideas. They're, they're in us for a purpose to help us to thrive. Yeah, my son, my son brought um, me at Disneyland for my birthday slash Christmas. And uh, anyway, he grabbed his girlfriend's arm, and we were on Main Street in Disneyland, and he started skipping down, his, you know, the Main Street and singing a Disney song, you know. And and he was just having a great time, and I just thought, you know, that's so wonderful that, that he could do that. Um, you know, it kind of reminded me when he was about, like, four years old, we used to sing songs together, you know, and that, that he could, you know, just feel free to do that. And his girlfriend just like going along with them and she's got a big smile on her face you know and he's just all happy and uh it's wonderful to see you know an adult just enjoying things and you know as adults we can enjoy all kinds of stuff you know going out dancing and you know singing and you know there's a lot of other things you know people do like skiing or you know just there's a whole bunch of activities and for me it was just going well Boy, I'd like to do that. I don't know if I'd be any good mm-hmm. at it. But like you said, the learning part of it, but caring, mm-hmm. caring enough about ourselves to try new things, take a risk. Risks are really hard for me. It was scary, you know. Mm-hmm. But I take little risks, you know. Like I wanted to go out in public, and I was like, I stayed inside for three years when I escaped from my biological father at 21. Mm-hmm. Stayed mm-hmm. inside for three years. My grandparents brought stuff in and took my garbage out. I would not even go out getting to my garbage. And I had to take a little teeny small, like, go to the store, you know, and buy two things and come back. You know, I couldn't even go shopping. Um, you know, just drive to the park with my kids and, you know, just let them play for a little while and come home. And then say, you can play in the yard. You know, but mm-hmm. it's taking risks to uh, um, get into uh, changing your life, you know. It's like this mm-hmm. is a whole different life, and I have a life I could have never imagined. But I've done a lot of work in therapy. I've done a lot of work, you know, with my own self. But, of course, being sober and drug-free helps, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and uh, being committed to um, to want things to be better, you know. I think yeah. you really have to have that desire. And I think a lot of people have the desire, but um, taking action is like such a big part of that. You know, we can set desire or want or whatever, but and if we know what path to go on, and a lot of times it's learning from other people. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's things, oh, you don't have to, you know, run, go to the library. Like my kids would ask a question about something, and I'd say, well, next Tuesday we can go to the library. <laughs> you know, now you can just get on Google, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's so many articles and things, you know, like, um, you know, um, how how can a person be happier? And you could even Google, you know, and some, a bunch of articles and things will come up. 
You know, we never had that before. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it is, there's kind of a science. Um, there's a lot of things that are real simple but real common that are all about helping to restore and, and kind of correct, you know, reform maybe the negative ideas or beliefs, you know, that we've carried around. Uh, there's some article recently yeah, about I mean, even, even coming on the show and asking questions like, you know, Philip's asking mm-hmm. questions that's part of learning. It's asking yeah. other people, well, how'd you deal with this or that? Or how do I, you know, and asking questions like definitions and stuff like when I first got into AA, it felt like they were talking a whole nother language, you know. And I asked a lot of questions. You know, after the meeting, I go to my sponsor or a friend and I say, what the heck were they talking about? You know, what is serenity, man? I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. you know, what is meditation? You know, how do you do that? You know, and different people give me different answers. You know, and the most important for me was that I had choices today. I didn't have choices when I was out. Know. Today I have choices, mm-hmm. but, you know, I can ask people and, and heck, I don't have that, you know, um, you know, if I say, you know, what do you think of this hairstyle? And somebody says, you need to, or you should do that one. And somebody else says, you should do that one. I pick totally different, you know, because I just want to give people some opinion. And, uh, you know, it's okay to do that. I always thought if I asked one person that I had to do it, you know, I was committed to do it. <laughs> yeah. I had asked yeah, no, I, I appreciate you putting that. You know, it's it's a developmental process. You know, taking little steps. You know, um, to ask questions or little steps to go somewhere. And you know, Samson years ago put up um, a basic list of you know when people experience some something that's traumatic, something that's overwhelming. You know, for that person, that um, they have they're impacted in, in like simple ways. Like one is that people don't know how to who to trust, what to trust, you know, or they don't feel safe, for sure. They don't have a sense of choice, what you're talking about, or a sense of voice, being able to speak to something and navigate their way through, uh, or a sense of, you know, feel powerless. And and uh, it's a practice, I mean, and not a small thing, to start to find, you know, a sense of safety in ourselves or in our environment. And knowing, you know, taking little steps to know, like, who to trust, what to trust. You know, not totally shut down and not totally, like, trust everybody and then, you know, be betrayed and, you know, exploited. Um, Knowing how to use our voice, you know. um, That's, like, not a small thing. I mean, because when I was in the the raging part of my coming to terms with with the um, abuse, I mean, my voice was all about, you know, killing people off not like a voice of trying to have a dialogue. Um, and, you know, this idea of choice, we always have choices. I mean, Victor Frankl talks about we always have a choice. You know, he was a Holocaust survivor. You know, as miserable as my life was growing up, I wasn't, like, always worse, you know. Uh, I used to play the, the pain Olympics, you know, um, but... Uh, this idea is like, all right, you know, reality is we always have choices. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're, we have power. We do have agency. Yeah. So 
Well, I think adults are ever, you know, child abuse. Um, you know, the one choice that we all made if we're listening to this show is was to survive. You know, yeah. we got here wherever we are today, um, and we made a positive choice there. Mm-hmm. And, and even if that is the only choice you've made right now, that's a mm-hmm. huge choice because some people mm-hmm. choose not to, and some people, you know, some kids don't end up taking it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, no matter how we reacted to the situation, we were very creative in however we survived, you know, and mm-hmm. to not blame ourselves or, you know, um, have regrets and stuff. You know, I would say I made the decisions I made with the information I had at the time, and I got bad information and outright lied. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. lied to about who I was and what I was worth and how I should be treated and, you know, how I should be talked to and that I couldn't mm-hmm. defend myself. And, you know, I just learned a whole bunch of horrible things. It took me a long time and a lot of sitting with myself, meditation, mm-hmm. to really listen to what those messages were, you know, mm-hmm. and then to talk to the therapist and say, you know, it hey, is what happened, and, you know, does it make sense to you, <laughs> you know? Am I mm-hmm. really just a bad, awful person I was told I was, you know? And uh, not only not trusting other people, but I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust my decisions, any of them, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I, I had a, such a, a good thought for a moment, but I was really <laughs> listening to you. Um, what was that? Hmm, I don't know. Oh, oh, I'll shut up for a minute. Off of space for others. <laughs> happens to me all the time. Well, thank you, Victoria. And I think I'm going to go ahead and share a little bit. This is Annie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to respond to two ideas that we've been talking about. One of them is the imposter syndrome. Boy, did I used to have that. Imposter syndrome is like, I shouldn't be on the radio. No one will understand my enunciation. I'm too stupid to be on the radio. I have nothing to say. All all these negatives about me that I might think that I would let stand in the way of doing something that I wanted Mm -hmm. to. That's the imposter syndrome. And I have to say I don't get it much anymore. I I feel strong and accepting of who I am and what I'm able to do. And um, I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. I never really was Mm. pretending. It was just the idea that I was inferior. And that's why I was an imposter. Mm -hmm. The The other little comment I wanted to make is about being my own best friend. I truly am... I I take care of myself, I let myself rest, and I do a lot of playing. I've been doing Mm. a lot of uh, watercolors and drawing. To me, that's Mm. playing. And it's like bringing a whole different thing out in me that I never brought out before because I never studied art making at all, never took Mm. drawing or anything. So that's how I'm I'm playing by... uh, by coloring and painting and scribbling and stuff. 
Um, and that's because I want myself to be happy. I wanted to I wanted to mention too that the whole time that I was doing my parenting life, I didn't really have time to do fun. I'm sure I did have time. I didn't make time. I never made time for myself to do things I like to do. And and it was really a revelation to me when I retired and had no children around and had time to play. And I play games and um, I play music and I color. So just wanted to share that. Let me give the phone number again in case you want to call in and be a part of our discussion. The phone number is 646-595-2118. Give us a call. Back to you, honey. Yeah. Danny, I wanted to make a comment, too. I was fortunate enough to go stay at Annie's house one night and uh, when I was in California for the NAFTA conference. And uh, she has got a beautiful yard. And you can tell how creative you are by that beautiful yard you have. I mean, you know, just, just going out and planting things. And you you built a waterfall. I mean, I'm like, wow, is that ever cool? You know? <laughs> That's true. It's fun to yeah. be with somebody that you can see is enjoying um, what they have you know, or what they've created or whatever. When you're around somebody like that, it makes you feel good, too. Mm-hmm. So I want to, Thank yeah. you. Because you know, it's like an example. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, um, you know, it, it could be a real positive example to be around people that are positive. Mm, yeah, sure. That I, I really, um, just a couple thoughts. One, I did remember what I forgot before, but this idea of, um, imposter syndrome and, and pretending um, I mean that's an, a natural result of when you know when we have a sense of uh, disconnection to our, our deeper self and in my mind healing and wholeness or even call it a spiritual practice is about integration and I think that's where the who we you know, pretend to be is less, and and we're more consistent. You know, um, and those leaders or those individuals, I think, who who um, do the most good are those who have kind of most continuity between what's inside us and then what we present, or what we do. Um, so there's a, there's a you know people ask uh, like for self awareness stuff like the first question, who are you? You know, and then you answer that a bunch of things, and usually people talk about, oh, I'm a friend, and I'm a teacher, and, you know, they talk about career or relationships, and then it's like, well, who do you pretend to be? And I'm like, oh, well, that's a different thing. So it's, it's good to be able to step back. And it was one of the things you mentioned, you know, Annie, in the middle of trauma or chaos or just taking, you know, surviving, just getting through, you know, taking care of the things we need to take care of, there's not an awful lot of space to step back and to reflect. Um, but when we do step back, and that's what I was uh, forgotten before, but um, you know, we can look back and, and see what decisions did I make in that time? You know, what choices did I make in those previous times? Um, and then, what do I think of those now? You know, because uh, Victoria, I think you were saying, you know, well, 
this is what information I had. You know, these were the lies that I got. This is what I had to work with. And, and it allows us to, I think, be sometimes appreciative, sometimes compassionate with our earlier self, you know, because um, we couldn't have the perspective that we have now. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of that's TIR, traumatic incident reduction, um, is, you know, a way for people to uh, get control of their mind. There's a way to process, to, to view, you know, either situations or specific you know, experiences that um, have been making it difficult to really thrive. And, and in, in that review, then that opens up that space, right, to, to stop and look back and to, you know, get a sense of, oh, my God, yeah, these are the decisions that I made. Now I can see the dots, and now I can evaluate. Do I want to continue that? Or, or am I proud of that or not? Or just accept it. Okay, that was not a good decision, you know, and I'm not in that same place. I'm not the same person. So, uh, you know, all these speak to just the the human process and, you know, um, doing the work, you know, and takes some time. Um, but it's, you know, clearly you're, you're all examples of healing and, you know, having more connection to your best self. Could you uh, uh, explain the term um, traumatic incident reduction? Sure. Um, so uh, there's you know there's a, a huge body of, of uh, research uh, called the ACE study came out in '98, and basically um, they look at in the first 18 years of life, you know, where people exposed to different things that are you know happen to us or around us, you know, violence, abuse, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, and then somehow the correlation, not causation, but the correlation to then behaviors, to, you know, self-destructive behaviors, to addictions, to anxiety, depression, you know, even diseases. Um, and so all those things, you know, are under the umbrella of, you know, trauma that we're carrying around, things that have been overwhelming. And so, those are in like in our muscle memory. Those are in, in the part of our brain that kind of compartmentalizes and it's, we're not usually conscious of all those things. We may be conscious of some of the traumas. And so TIR, traumatic incident reduction, is a way for people to be guided through a review of maybe it's a situation like you know, an ongoing relationship or a job or you know the state of the world or whatever that may be on our mind and may produce anxiety or depression or, you know, all kinds of you know, stresses um, so that we get perspective, you know, uh, and, and sometimes there are specific incidents that um, many, they happened and they were, they were traumatic and then we coped, we got our way through things, but we never really faced them fully because in the moment we're not able to, you know, we're just in that survival mode. And so when we can slow down and, and view specific incidents um, that may then later on you know, in life we had other things, but we review and, and find sometimes by fully facing those that all of a sudden, you know, we're one, we may be experience a lot of the upset 
Um, but we have a bigger picture as well of other things, um, feelings, you know, sensations, attitudes, interpretations, you know. And then, then it, it's like pieces of the puzzle come together and we have perspective. We're not reliving those things. We're not getting triggered by those things. Um, and so uh, it's, it's like therapy, but it's not therapy. You know, it's actually like an educational process because once, like in anything that you learn, you can apply it later on. You know, and so there's uh, people commonly, you know, after doing these sessions, um, they uh, have a sense of the, wow, you know, I can ask myself those questions. Um, so it's a, a guided way to review um, you know, current or situations that are ongoing and get some insight and reduce the stress or to face something that we haven't been able to face fully. Um, and, and sometimes when we're dealing with something that's known or current, that opens up like a, the space in us, uh, bandwidth call it, that something else behind an earlier similar incident or something that, you know, now is getting activated presents itself and that then we... We face that, but again, once once you process it, um, and it changes. You know, so it's not therapy. I mean, when I had PTSD, I did lots of different kinds of therapies, and those always depended on the smartest person, you know, the psychiatrist or the psychologist, uh, you know, to point out what might be going on. And those just um, were never as profound, you know. Um, and so this is under the educational umbrella. I'm not a psychologist, um, um, but uh, this is all about learning and helping people to be the smartest person, you know, with their experience and figure things out. Um, and in fact, um, I have a hope of this. Put it out to the universe, and you can all join. Um, so I. I uh, became the subject matter expert for a group called the National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors. It's, under the, it's a national organization like SAMHSA. And um, I'm hoping that in the next few weeks I'm going to have a, a conversation, a follow-up conversation with the state mental health directors for Guam and uh, American Samoa and Palau and um, what was the other one? Oh, I'm forgetting one. But um, to to say... You know, I'll train a group of your therapists or you know people who who want to learn how to do this, and then I'll supervise you to get to get certified. And then for those who want to be trainers, I'll help you to get to that point so that you can have in your communities, in your country, in your whole community, the ongoing resources um, that I think are and there's there's studies and I've got my own. Um, uh, what evaluations of you know how quickly um, people really totally change from you know having PTSD to not from being really anxious to not from having a lot of depression to not you know in like 20 hours of sessions, which is extraordinary because I had you know many more hours of therapy and doing all kinds of things that weren't as effective. So, um, I mean, I'm wondering if you could give us an example of, like, if I came to you with trauma, would you walk me through a specific exercise I could do to help myself? Well, um, 
you know, before we would take on uh, an actual you know, incident or an ongoing situation, there's a lot of preparation, you know, and so, uh, um, so but I could, I could do, so without looking at a trauma in particular, I can ask like a few questions and you can all think about this um, and then, you know, you can tell me how useful that was. But um, so a, a very positive, um, useful tool is like to think about um, for me to have a good day. For me to have a good day. So that will be the prompt. And I'll ask um, three questions. You know, what do I need to be? What do I need to do? What do I need to have? Um, and then I'll ask a follow-up question. And I'll do that a few times. And so part of the technique uh, of dealing with trauma things, uh, as well as like really positive things, and I hope this is a positive thing. Uh, I don't want to open up something that's really uh, you know upsetting for anybody, so I want to stay away from that. Um, is the repetition, you know, not just going with the first answer that we have. Because um, we do that all the time. But that's, you know, if we're the smartest person in the room, just you know, with the first answer we come up with, we'll all be totally happy. Um, so with that as a prompt, is that an okay prompt for me to have a good day? Yes, thank you. Okay. So um, we'll do this three rounds of three questions with a follow-up. And just want you to pay attention to, you know, what comes up, what ideas come up, and, um, and if there are any, you know, feelings that come up, you know, that's data, it's useful. Um, and my intent is that this is really positive, so um, and that's the danger of doing something just kind of like without a lot of prep and background. So for me to that have a good be a day. That really good uh, journal exercise just that. Oh, well, three yeah. questions and um, what would be a good day because I can see my answers really changing, you know, um, yeah. from, you know, even even my question, um, uh, what do I have to be to be successful, you know, mm-hmm. and some people would put, like have a boat, lots of money and, you know, mm-hmm. a, um, a certain degree or something, for instance, and mm-hmm. I can say how to be successful is that. Uh, Helping other people, um, mm-hmm. feeling good about you know um, the things I do to take care of myself, mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, my dog's gonna have puppies, and I'm getting prepared mm-hmm. for you know for mm-hmm. my dog to have puppies, and though, to me it's all success, you know, and mm-hmm. I would have never defined success as that before, mm-hmm. and so I think it's those answers can be ever changing as well, yeah, and I like yeah. how said don't just go with your first thought or whatever, really think about them. And I think, uh, for me, journaling really, really helped, you know, um, in having some prompts. And you can, again, go to Google and say, what are some journal prompts, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and find things like that, that, you know, to just ask one, you know, answer one question every day on uh, mm-hmm. a different thing, you know. And I have one one journal that keeps asking you the same thing every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll find it in, in a minute. I'll let you know what it says. 
because I gotta find the book. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Like um, the techniques are something that you can you can use on your own. You know, mm-hmm. journaling is a great <clears throat> way to step back and get the perspective. You know, and so um, and I like it, just what you said. What I need to be. I mean, so some people are saying, "Oh, I need to be rich. Or I need to be." You know, the smartest person in the room, or any, and then the follow-up question: Well, where does that come from? I'm like, okay, well, maybe it comes from because I didn't have that before, and I was unhappy, and I've gotten this idea that I have to be this other thing, and and then you know, we may rethink that to say, like, you know, what do I need to uh, have? Yeah, lots of money, or lots of, and then we rethink. Well, I need to have actually other, I need to have connection with people. I need to have friendships. You know. Um, so we can sort out, you know, we have the first thought and then other thoughts come up and we can weigh, you know, maybe they go together, maybe they don't. And then, you know, that third, what do we need to do? Okay, well, this is what I want to, you know, either be or do, I mean, be or have, like, I have some responsibility and, you know, how willing am I to do that? You know, just to get a sense of what's my first step compared to, you know, something, somehow jumping into something that's really difficult. Um, but yeah, so I guess without you know, we're just talking about it. That's that's an example of um, the repetition. You know that there's more. Kind of like you think of those uh, plates in a cafeteria. You know, we take one off and the other next one pops up, and the next one pops up. So all the information in us, um, brilliance in us that sometimes. Um, we just don't get to because we're either too busy, we don't slow down, we kind of just take the first answer that we think of or the first reaction that we come up with. Uh, and, and so after that, then we can be more responsive, more reflective. So that's not you know, trauma-specific, but that's, it gives an idea yeah. of you know, the tech, kind of the, the technique, uh, what's behind um, you know the, the the response to trauma because a lot of therapies or you know cognitive behavioral therapy is like stuff that we're aware of but the reality is in, in trauma um, different parts of our brain get activated and different parts kind of get shut off and the memories can get compartmentalized and out of survival um, and so they're not stuff that we're going to be conscious of and so we need to have a, a technique that gets at those things that are kind of sub, um, suppressed, you know, things that are kind of behind our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be for really positive things as well to help us to grow, you know. So I found this journal, and at the front of it says, Our home is bright with the light of our love, caring and sharing from the gifts above. It's called Personal Journal. And here's the question. So every day you can answer these questions, or it's also got on the back page notes and thoughts. So anyway, it says, today I feel good about, fill that in. Some, um, something new I experienced today, fill that in. The latest with friends and family. Today's news and weather happenings. People who catch my life today. Um, I was fortunate to receive today what I did to touch someone's life today and uh, plans for an even better tomorrow. 
and uh, I don't know, I kind of like that, uh, you know, sometimes we just get questions or thoughts about stuff, and, uh, you know, it just it just helps to, like I said, have something guided that, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially positive, you know, because, yeah. like, you know, I, one of the things I'm reading this ACA book, and it talked about, um, you know, fear of criticism, and mm. I used to be, just criticism to me was always negative. I don't care. Mm. You know, anybody that pointed out something that, you know, I could change or do something better or whatever, like at work or whatever, I always took it as a negative. Mm-hmm. You know, I never even thought that it might be something positive to make my work experience better or, you know, mm. perform better or whatever, you know. Um, it was just like automatically to a negative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've really, you know, I can tell that I've changed, you know. People can comment, you know, oh, you know, during the radio show, you know, maybe if you hadn't said that or I don't know, something I can't even think right now, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just suggestions, you know, or even positive suggestions, you know. I really like when you said that, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it it can really be helpful. And then what I did is, I got a notebook out because I realized I have all these negative messages about myself. So as I kind of was thinking about some stuff that happened in my past, I started writing on the left side, opened the page, and on the left side I wrote all the negative messages I was getting. And then mm. as soon as I thought of a positive message, I put it on the other side of the page, mm. like be the right side when you got your notebook open. And, mm. uh, for instance, you know, I'm, um, I don't deserve love, you know. And on the other side, I'd put, I deserve love, you know, simple enough. And I put a line through the left side. And I did this for, I don't know, 15 pages. I mean, I had a lot of these negative messages. And they kept coming to me. I was writing them down. And then I had all these crossed out things, but they weren't all crossed out. But I went back and looked at the ones I crossed out. And I thought, you know what? I really feel myself changing to that other side of the paper. Mm-hmm. I don't know That's that a great activity. Sense, but, but oh, it, it was, yeah, it was really, really helpful to me, and I've shared it with other people, and they said, you know, I'm going to try that, <laughs> you know, because all these negative messages are coming up, and some might even say aloud, like, you know, um, why did why did I feel like, you know, I was undeserving of love, and then I write undeserving of love on the left side, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, it just... You know, like they say, your brain chemistry changes or whatever um, when when you have all these negative messages of being abused. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also when you're healing, your brain changes too, you know. And and it's, we can heal from that, you know, because some, sometimes I would, I would get into what my diagnoses were, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I'd be reading through all the symptoms and stuff and I'd just get stuck in it and and not believe that anything could ever change, you know. Like, you know, I have uh, bipolar disorder, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm, you know, that's all I'm going to ever be because I have bipolar mm-hmm. disorder, you know. And then when I look at it and go, wait a minute, you know, um, I can change it by this and I can change it by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you said, you know, can I do that to, um, to change it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's choices. It goes back to choices. Yeah. 
And also yeah. when, you know, things would be seemed like there's no way to get around it. And this, I felt like there was a wall that I had to get through, you know. And mm-hmm. and it became a challenge. Mm-hmm. It was a positive challenge. It was exciting, you know. I'm I'm going to do this no matter what. <laughs> yeah. You know, like getting through living in this assisted living and, and fighting for the fact that I'm keeping my service animal and I know mm-hmm. I have a right to and everything else. I mean, I could have given up many times, you know, plus I was suicidal like five times over it. And, you know, I could have just given up my life. <laughs> I could have given mm-hmm. up my dog, you know. But but I said, what do I got to do to keep this dog? And I got a disability law attorney that helped me fight. I got, you know, mm-hmm. friends that were supporting me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kept looking at the laws and reminding myself that, I wasn't doing anything that was wrong, you know, that I was right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, just it was a very big challenge. And uh, I made it through. You know, I came out the other side, and mm-hmm. I didn't get kicked out of the place that tried to kick me out. You know, they said, yeah. if we'd known you were going to have a dog when you moved in, we'd never let you in the first place. And I said, it's not a dog, it's a service animal. Mm. You know, in accordance with Americans with Disability Act, you kicked me out over it. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, they didn't like to hear that. <laughs> that I knew yeah. what my rights were, you know. Yeah. So I want to just comment real quickly, and then I'll, you know, shut up and ask others to join. But, you know, this this exercise of writing, you know, something on one side and the other side is a really, really effective strategy that, um there, there's a term that we use in, in DIR. It's called uh, wrong indicators. And you think of, you know, like a driving a car. If you put on the blinker that you're going to turn, that's an indicator, right? And if you turn, that's congruent. But sometimes it's uh, confusing for other people, or you know, if a person is signaling but they don't go that way, right? It's a wrong indicator. And sometimes we get messages from others um, that are on that one side of the page. You know, they're real negative that we can internalize. And and so it's a imp- valuable practice to stop and, and to say, is that true or is the opposite true? Or is there something else that's more true? And and it's, you, go, you go through a process of comparing. Is that true or is that not true? You know, am I... Um, somebody who you know doesn't know that much or you know can't make good decisions or am I a person who does make good decisions use that example and just kind of go back and forth and weigh it you know and like have it resonate in us and often you know we we get more nuance to you know that simple thinking that either or thinking and and it often affirms you know the the skill, the strengths. Those one thing that I just wanted to highlight is a, a real effective, brilliant activity. And you've done a lot of activities that I think are really helpful to get control of your mind. You know? So that the other thing, you talk about any criticism, um, how you may have initially taken it, you know, as something really terrible, and then with perspective, with growth, you realize, okay, maybe it actually could be useful. And I mentioned earlier the the four agreements, you know, there's a book, I think it's practical. It's, it's got some good ideas about um, 
to, you know, to be happy in the world, you know, one agreement is let your word be impeccable, right? So use words in a good way. Uh, and that means for ourselves as well. Um, telling the truth. You know, there's a lot of things that are misinformation and terrible. Right? But so that's one thing, just have our word be honest and impeccable. And the second one, though, is don't take things personally, which is super hard, especially if we're coming from a place of, of uh, a lot of harm. You know, that even criticism or guidance can feel like you know, a personal attack. And so it's a part of our growth, you know, that uh, we become more honest and become more um, able to, you know, get in feedback or whatever without having it kind of, you know, cut at our core. Um, and then uh, uh, the third agreement is uh, don't make assumptions, which is common sense, but it's how we get through life. You know, we assume all kinds of stuff to uh, survive. Um, but sometimes those assumptions are like, you know, the world is against me, or the people are untrustworthy, or, you know, people have bad intent all the time. Um, so we have to rethink those, you know, is it really true? And, and then the last one is just the best, you know, do your best, regardless if we can't always be as honest or always you know, not take things personally. We're all, you know, we all, we sometimes make assumptions. But I really, you know, that, that example you gave about taking feedback and, and having now a different perspective on it, it's really a great example of growth. Yeah. And I'll shut up. Well, my, my whole life when I was young, I always believed that the only thing I would sit on this for is a sexually satisfied man. And... How that changed, <laughs> I don't even know. But you know, I'm I'm at a completely different point in my life, you know. But I look back, and that was really what I believed, you know, because that's the way I was treated. And uh, you know, now I know I put on the service for many wonderful things. And uh, but I was, you know, that was like I said, bad information and a bunch of lies that I was told. And maybe not say, maybe they didn't say those exact words, but it was the way that I was treated, and that's how I felt about myself. And yeah, so that was, and you're not you're not alone. I mean, that's we're we're mm-hmm. we're socialized right, into believing in our act behaviors, and that's how we get along in groups, um, whether that group's a family or you know a, an organization or whatever, but. So, you know, we have to think for ourselves and rethink. Yeah. And then um, a lot of times the messages, what was happening is I was remembering a lot of things, so I'd remember an incident and then how it made me feel about myself. And that was some of the stuff that went on the left side, you know. But it related back to a specific in- incident where that, one of the incidents is say where that thought may have came from. And so it was looking really into my past at the same time. And I, you know, think that you got to be able to identify the problem before you can find the solution, just like an AA, you know, or ACA, whatever, identifying the problem is so important um, before you can go, hey, I don't, you know, want to do that anymore or I don't want to believe that anymore about yeah. myself. And, you know, I can say that, you know, that... um you know, I'm just a horrible person. And then I can cite incidences in my life, even back then, before that, 
if I really sit down and think, I could write a bunch of things that I wasn't a horrible person, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, to like wipe that, try to wipe it out. You know, I, you know, I'm stupid and I can't do nothing right. And then I got a piece of paper and started writing all the things that I was proud of that I did. And being proud of something wasn't a thing we did in our family either. You know, if you thought you good at something, um, that wasn't a good thing <laughs> to do. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. so it's really changed a lot of those core beliefs. Yeah. <clears throat> um, before we end, I, I, I would like to read another poem by this guy, uh, Gareth Higgins, but it doesn't have to be this moment. I just want to mention that. Annie, you got anything to say? No, I'm good. Go ahead, honey. So this is, uh, I was just thinking of what you're saying, Victoria, you know, how um, you really had to learn, you know, that you have worth, you know, that you have brilliance, right, that you're good. And, and that's a, a, a journey, you know, that's a, a lot of, a lot of work. Um, and so this is called a blessing for breath. And I think it comes from that lens of, uh, knowing our goodness, you know, having done the work of processing and getting perspective and forgiving ourselves, loving ourselves, forgiving ourselves. So it's called a blessing for breath. Breathe, knowing that every molecule within and without your body is stardust and imbued with the light of God. Nothing separate, all a spiral into and from love, breathe. Knowing that the worst pain in your life has already been experienced by the mercy of the universe, breathe. Knowing that if the stones yearn to become cathedrals, then you, enfleshment of divinity, mingling of sacred and profane, a little lower than the angels. You are not the sum total of the worst things that have happened to you or the worst things you've done. Breathe. Knowing that the ones you admire the most, the Gandhis and Mother Teresas and Fannie Lou Hamers and those who clear landmines and lie down with lions for the sake of peace, these are the fruits of lives that have been crucibled in suffering. No one becomes great without first being brought low. No one develops true empathy for the greatest suffering without touching some of that suffering themselves. Breathe. So that's that. Wow. I mean, there's an expression, you know, follow no one who has no scars. And that's who I, you know, really appreciate, you know, all the sharing, you know, to say there's no shame in having had things happen to us. There's no shame in, you know, the trauma that came to us. You know, the shame to me is like in not acknowledging it and, you know, doing something with it so that we can then have this amazing deeper self, you know, this compassion and insight, you know, that, that comes through that. You know, we don't take shortcuts. And so uh, you may not feel like it at the time, you know, but, uh, 
that is the kind of the the manure that promotes you know flowers, right? Mm-hmm. I know in my life I didn't really have any role models, you know, and uh, I had to kind of find my own role models and you know people I admired and stuff. Like I really admired my sponsor, and I didn't really quite know why, but she had serenity in the midst of all kinds of crazy things that were going on, you know. And I was like, how does she do that, you know? And uh, I think sometimes, you know, you can read books and go, wow, you know, that's how they dealt with this or that, you know. Um, and and just find your own role models and find your own, you know, um, and then go beyond that. You know, like I tell my my granddaughter, I said, don't just reach for the stars, reach beyond because you don't know what's there, you know. That's mm-hmm. what you can see. There's, there's more than you map if you believe that you can do it. You know, if mm-hmm. you believe it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that look at me and look at the way I was. Even even a psychiatrist I went back to, and he's like, you know, I just went back and talked to him. He goes, wow, I've never seen so one person grow so much, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, because he hadn't seen me so long. And uh, that's, I seen him when I was first diagnosed with MPD. And mm-hmm. I was on, like, so much medication because I couldn't even function. I had so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was shaking all the time and couldn't put three words together. When I got away from my biological father, I was just, just really a mess. Couldn't go out of the house, mm-hmm. you know, and all these things. And, you know, wanted to commit suicide all the time. And just, you know, I, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live in pain. Mm. There's a big difference. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's the line in the song, isn't it? I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. <laughs> it's just, I want better. Like, yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I have a life that I could never imagine when I was, you know, I wasn't drinking all the time. I was drinking on weekends. Not, but I knew that it was something I didn't want to do. But I really didn't see any other options. Like I like I said before, you know, my sponsor asked me, which stopped me guzzling out of a bottle, Victoria, you think you're an alcoholic? I said, oh, yeah, I am an alcoholic. I said, but I'm one of those alcoholics that can't be helped. Like, mm. Oh, what kind of alcoholic is that? Well, I told her for 33 years before she passed away what kind of alcoholic that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, now I got 37 years. She's been gone for like four years. And, uh, you know, but but I'm still going to meetings. I'm still learning more about myself and, you know, the stuff that, uh, you know, like they say, alcoholism and drug addiction are just symptoms Mm. of larger problems, you know. And I finally get to understand that, that alcoholism and drug addiction, you know, are also connected to mental health issues. You know, yeah. before it was just two separate things. It was this big line yeah. drawn, you know. But back, I don't know, uh, 30 years ago, I was going to a drop-in center for people with long-term mental health issues. And uh, I started a group that was alcohol and uh, mental health problems together. Mm. And uh, now they're just, you know, not just, but it's, it hasn't been that many years back where they're finally to connect the two and calling it dual diagnosis. Mm, and, right. uh, you know, they never even had that term back then. 
but but I knew that I was different from the people that were going to AA because I also had that mental health component that it didn't seem like anybody wanted to talk about, even if they did have it, you know. Mm-hmm. And now people are finally talking about it in meetings. And, you know, I'll bring up, you know, I was abused by my, you know, sexually abused by my biological father. I might just say one sentence. I had one lady come up to me after a meeting. She said, I can't believe you said that in the meeting. She said, uh, uh, that happened to me, too. She said, and nobody's talking about it. And that's why I can't stay sober. And she said, mm-hmm. and now I feel safe that I could talk to you because you brought it up. And mm-hmm. I really felt honored mm-hmm. that that. Somebody would say that they felt safe with me, to, you know, to talk to me, and I wasn't going to go blabbing around everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two thoughts real quick. One is, is um, that. Oh my gosh, I did it again. <laughs> um, well, the the thought that um, by you recognizing your experience, it allowed someone else to face their own and. And that's the thing, you know, we're as sick as our secrets and we're not going to be able to really be freed up in, in such a huge different way if we don't fully face whatever it is. And um, the other thing is that I thought was super helpful for you to, to name was you know, there's so many behaviors that are, and even addictions, that really are the culmination of uh, coping mechanisms, you know, that the coping mechanisms are in response to situations or events, you know, that, that have been uh, unsafe, you know, that have uh, been harmful, that have been overwhelming or traumatic. And so you're describing exactly, you know, what, you know, like you've been ahead of the curve of the, the mental health or the addiction community professionals who have identified, you know, these things as something in themselves rather than as symptoms. And then separate things rather than they're, they're like uh, two different branches uh, that have the same roots. Right? And so more, there's more and more you know, good science. And that's where TIR, traumatic incident reduction, is, is grounded in this deep understanding of the trauma network and how coping mechanisms you know, are a result of something and in, in behaviors. Um, and and Vin Felitti, who is the the godfather really of you know the ACE study, adverse childhood experiences study, back in '98, you know that has been like the the touch point for the beginning of all this amazing insight and research uh, about trauma informed care um, and helpful healing strategies that that you've been describing. You know that he would say ultimately addictions are a natural consequence along the continuum of people dealing with trauma, right? So I'm not saying there's no biological component or there's no hereditary component, but um, the underlying, you know, not trauma or whatever has been individually experienced or passed down from other generations because we know there's intergenerational trauma. We know there's um, uh, epidemiologists who talk about um, the the trauma that gets passed down from generation to generation that's kind of in our in our bones, in our cells, um, epistemology, uh, epigenetics, that's the word I'm saying, not epistemology, epigenetics. I mean, there's science to, to say that um, 
we have this stuff in us that we try to cope, whether we're conscious of it or not, whether it's our own experience or inherited, you know, that matters. Um, so this point about symptoms, yeah, that is so big an idea that so many people don't understand. So thank you. Thanks, Jaime. Thanks, Victoria. We have another five minutes in the show. Um, are you there, Victoria? Yeah, I just came back. My phone hung up. Oh, okay, because I, I saw a message that said you weren't there. Okay, hi. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. Well, we've still got five minutes. Well, one thing I want to mention is, um, and I don't know, Philip, you're still uh, on the line, but, you know, for anybody who may listen to the program, you know, if anybody wants to reach out, I'd be happy to share more information and, um, you know, and be a support, um, you know, as, as people are figuring out, you know, how can I move forward from whatever experiences I've had, you know, to, to be more of the person that, uh, would be our best self, you know, and, and to really experience, you know, the thriving and, and not like thriving is a one and done, you know, like it's a linear process. And, um, but just to be able to, to be present, you know, to ourselves and to navigate and be responsive and responsible um, and good to ourselves, you know, in the midst of well, life is hard. So, you know, my email is jr at j-a-i-m-e-r-o-m-o.org. Um, and then the website is the same, just my name, .org. Um, I'm, I'm going to revise it. Um, it has a bunch of workshops that I don't do anymore, but I'll put up some new information. Um, and, um, you know, if not me directly, certainly I can you know, connect people to people and, and to resources so they can get the support. It will help them to um, be more of the best person they're called to be. Thank you. I'm sure people yeah. will reach out to you. That's nice of you. Um, and Victoria, you usually at this point talk a little bit about the website and everything on there. Would you do that? Yeah. Yeah, NASCA has like 42 programs that uh, that we have. And uh, it's, it's just amazing the things. I've been uh, recently referring uh, parents to um, go on there and um, there's actually a video on there that you can watch with your kids and uh, it's like, you know, cartoonish or whatever you call it. And uh, there's just, yeah, there's just a lot um, of resources and uh, you can look up, if you need to call somebody, you can look up um, the ambassadors for different states. Um, my name's on there. I'm the Minnesota ambassador and my phone number, everything. And there's contact people on there. And you don't just have to call, like, your state. You can call anybody in that list. And, you know, some people you're going to connect with and some people, you know, you won't. It's just, you know, yeah, uh, but there's a lot of people. And then there's also um, all the uh, – most of the facilitators of these uh, blog talk radio shows um, are on there. And uh, – um, it's it's just nice to have you know um, someone to connect with 
and uh, we've got, uh, you know, these shows are every uh, Friday night, and uh, I just want to, what I always read, the other uh, serenity prayer, which is, please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly, the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best, and the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. And I think it's important for us to those things. Beautiful. Thank you. We have 90 seconds until the end of the show. So thanks, everybody. This has been Stop Child Abuse Now. Scan radio show number 3275. And all our shows are archived, so you can go back and listen Many years' worth of shows are there archived for you. And we're here five nights a week on this radio show um, at um, 8 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And I'm going to play the song. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Oh